Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Let's start, let's start with uh, prayer. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Let's pray. Uh, Father, um, there's so many amazing things that you're doing in and around our church and in this town, and we just say thank you for them. We start from just that place of we'd rather have activity than no activity, and so we just say thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're moving. You're training people, equipping them, and it is just amazing to see, God, these different ministries um, that, are, that are going after similar things, prayer within the church, uh, inner healing, um, people getting set free because of the truth of the gospel, your Holy Spirit within them, and also outside of the church being drawn to you. So we say, be effective, Lord, in both. Yeah. Establish the work of their hands in both ways. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Hey, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter six. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning. Luke six. And uh, we're gonna be continuing in our series uh, on Luke. The King is Here is what we're calling the series, and that's a very appropriate name, very appropriate title for specifically what we're talking about this morning. So Luke chapter six is where we're gonna be. Now, last week, uh, if you weren't here, um, Bria began the portion of Luke that contains some of Jesus' most famous teachings. So these are gonna be really common teachings that you'll likely be familiar with, and she set us up perfectly uh, by showing the context of Jesus' teaching. Jesus goes, he gets alone, and he prays, and then he goes and he teaches. And when he gets alone, and he prays, and he, com- he commute like what is prayer? It's communication with God. When he goes and he does that, what comes from that time in prayer? What comes from it? Well, an entirely new way of seeing the world, an entirely new way of, of being human. That's what comes from this time of prayer. In a, in a sentence or in a phrase, what comes from this time of prayer is a kingdom view. If you wanna know like, What is a kingdom view of all of life? You need to go to the Sermon on the Mount. You need to go look at the most famous teachings of Jesus and find out what was the way that he saw the world. And so we're gonna continue this. And here's what I wanna say this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, still write this down. When you see God with clarity, he will make you into a cause instead of a reaction. When you see God with clarity, when you really get alone and you get it, you get, he dismays you. He stuns you. When you really see him, he will turn you into a cause instead of a reaction. All right, look down, look down at your Bibles. Luke chapter six and verse 27. But to you who are listening, Jesus says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks you And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. 
do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, as many of you probably know, this um, message, this talk is from a famous collection of Jesus' uh, teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, what is the Sermon on the Mount? Now, it's more debated than you might have thought. See, some people, they look at the Sermon on the Mount, and they look at at this passage that we just read, and they say this. The Sermon on the Mount is to be followed. If you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, you need to do everything that Jesus says to do in his most famous teachings that are compiled in the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, this is the core of what it means to be a disciple. Do the stuff. Now, other theologians on another side would say, no, the Sermon on the Mount, look, it's impossible. Like, do not even look at a woman with lustful intent or else you've committed adultery with her. That's impossible. And so what the Sermon on the Mount is, is it is putting forth an impossible standard and you are meant to read the standard, see the standard of God and say, well, thank God for grace and for unmerited favor because there's no way that I could ever do this. That's why Jesus came, because you can't do the Sermon on the Mount. So which is it? (laughs) You're like, I didn't know there was a debate. There's a debate. (laughs) Now, I've come to think that we should read the Sermon on the Mount and we should be slow to come to conclusions. We should read the Sermon on the Mount and we should allow it to make us uncomfortable. Because likely you find yourself on one of those two poles. On one side you think, this is the right, you're like a one on the Enneagram. No, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, those are just, that's just marching orders. <laughs> what do you mean it's an impossible standard? <laughs> but maybe you're a seven on the Enneagram and you're like, I don't know, it seems impossible. Can we just have fun again? You're, you, I want fun Jesus, this doesn't seem like fun Jesus. <laughs> now, We should allow it to make us uncomfortable. And when I've done that, when I've allowed that to happen to me, it has pushed me to depend even more on Jesus and his lordship in my life. So here's, I'm gonna give you my lens, my hermeneutic, if you will, uh, with which I read the Sermon on the Mount. Firstly, I think that Jesus is teaching about the culture of his kingdom. In other words, when he's in charge, what happens? The Sermon on the Mount, okay? And that this this kingdom lifestyle, if you will, is actually possible for you, but it's only possible if you really see God clearly. And that's the key. See, think about the description of the kingdom culture here in this passage that we just read. Don't pay back evil for evil. Can you imagine a world where that happens or a family that just dedicated themselves? We will not pay back wrong for wrong. Uh, think, Think about the other pieces of wisdom in this. Bless those who are mean to you. 
I don't feel like doing that very often. Actively love people who you don't like. Because I love what it says. It says to love, and then he, in case you wondered, like, what is love? Like, is that just a nice feeling about somebody? He's like, no, 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 do good to them. We all know what good is, so do good to them, okay? I think of the proverb as I was reading this, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I remember my mom telling me that when I was a little kid, you know, Alex, a gentle answer turns away wrath, and I'm like, well, maybe Mitch can be the one to give me the gentle answer first. <laughs> you know, and then we'll see. Maybe it'll subside the wrath within me. Um, but can you imagine a world where this passage happens? In a sense, Jesus is reversing the previous Jewish teaching, an eye for an eye, and he is making a heavenly culture of relationship possible. And culturally, even beyond the walls of this church, culturally, we, we're desperate for it. We want it. We want it. Though many may not know it, our sense of Western morality is profoundly shaped by this passage. Our movies, I just went and saw Top Gun, and, and it's in, this, this passage is in that movie. Like, just, you gotta see it. Our movies, our songs, our books, all exalt a love like this. Could there be a, a, a love that sacrifices itself? Could there be somebody who, it, who is big enough, who is full enough to take within them the insult and return blessing instead? We want it culturally. But here's the question. How do you get this? Because I don't know about you. Uh, <laughs> I read this and I go, I think I'm more like the sinner than like what Jesus is telling me to be like. I identify with the sinner. I'm like, yeah, I wanna lend my money, but I'd like to have that paid back if possible. Maybe with interest, that's called investing. So may, is that okay, you know? How do you get this? How do you get a culture or a person to love like this? Because all of us, when we read this teaching of Jesus, we will likely see a gap between the standard that's set and the reality of who we are. Now, let me explain. For those of you who are a little lost, I know there's a lot of righteous, very, very righteous people in the room. If you have a hard time visualizing the gap, let me just explain my own. When people have a flag outside their home that essentially truncates and belittles my deeply held values, I get mad. When people insult Christians, I have found that time within the institution of church has made me particularly thin-skinned. I am far more likely to help out a friend financially than a stranger. I rarely pray for the blessing of God on people I disagree with. And I'm not one to take any sort of physical abuse. It would get ugly quickly. Do you see the gap in my own life? Are you finding yourself in it as well? between what Jesus asks of us and what we are typically. So how, how do we get the kingdom culture that Jesus is talking about? How do we become like Jesus and live this kind of radical love? Well, there are two ways, and I want you to write this down. There are two ways to bring about moral change in your life. Two ways to bring about moral change in your life to become more loving, to become more Christ-like, and, and that's mechanical change or organic change. Those are the two ways that you can bring about change. Do you know the difference? 
Here's a, here's a picture. I'm going to show you a picture. Good, it kind of showed up. Uh, the, the, these represent, this, rock, uh, this pile of rocks and this flower represent the different methods to get change in your life. Uh, mechanical change is like this pile of rocks. If you want to change that pile of rocks, you want to make it a bigger pile of rocks, then you just need to physically add to the pile of rocks to make it a bigger, bigger pile of rocks. But nothing's inherently changed about the pile of rocks. It just appears bigger. But a flower is very different. How does a flower change? A flower has to actually take within itself nutrients, take within itself sunlight, and actually become something different. It's organic change. Mechanical growth is added to from the outside. Sure, the pile has changed, but its growth isn't authentic because it isn't alive. But a flower, that is authentic change. It's organic change because it's grown from the inside out. The plant has actually changed by what it's taken inside itself. It hasn't added. It's become the change. You couldn't separate the change from this beautiful flower in the spring. And, and what I'm saying is that the world we live in, the culture we exist in, attempts to get a loving world firstly through mechanical change, enforcing change from the outside. See, Mechanical change is always a pursuit of the kingdom without the king. Yeah, good. The kingdom without the king. The entire Western world is cross-pressured, as Charles Taylor would say. We're cross-pressured. What does that mean? What it means is that culturally, all of us have two competing and opposing beliefs within ourselves. Meaning, we deeply desire for the culture of heaven our culture wants the culture of heaven. We deeply desire the, the, the kingdom uh, uh, culture to become the culture across the face of our country or our, our communities or in our families, while at the very same time, we do not want a God. So the dilemma is, how do you get the kingdom, this beautiful culture, without that pesky cosmic police officer? And thousands of years of human history have shown that it's just not possible. That's right. See, the problem is that without the king, there's no mercy. The very thing that attracts you to the kingdom culture, you've removed the thing that makes it run. And without mercy, there is only fear. And when all moral or societal change comes from fear, the change isn't organic, it's mechanical. It's from the outside in. It's adding to you, you better, you should, you better not, rather than becoming. And this is what you've seen with the rise of the social justice movement in our world. There's not only the, the kingdom culture desire for a loving world, but there's the demand of a loving world, an accepting, a celebrating world, at the risk of punishment, maybe by the law, or certainly by social rejection. You're out of the camp. What is that? It's the pursuit of the kingdom without the ability to atone for sin. Our culture has a massive problem. It, it, it recognizes sin, it deeply believes in sin. It deeply believes that there's something wrong, but it has no way to actually get rid of the sin without killing the sinner because there's no dead king. There's no resurrected king. And so the sinner must be destroyed. And when we, th when we think about change this way, you're like, I don't think about change this way. Oh, I, you might. 
When we think about change this way, we show that we do not understand Jesus' argument. Let me ask you a question about this passage. Is this passage, this teaching, is it about a moral imperative you should love? Or is this passage about the character of God? Look down your Bibles, verse 35. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful. Why? Because your Father has been merciful. Do you see the difference? One way of looking at the world says, do good. Because if you don't, you will be breaking God's law and that might make him upset. That's the moral imperative view. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount that way? The other way of looking at the world says, do this because this is who you are and this is who you are because this is who he is. It's the character of God view. So think about it for a moment. How have you promoted change in your own life? When you see a gap, How do you motivate yourself to change? Are you mechanical or are you organic? See, this is about what participates in God's character and what doesn't. That's what this text is about. It's about what participates in God's character and what does not. Be merciful. Why? Because that's who God is. It's what he's been to you. And right there, if you see that, right there, that's where organic change can begin. Organic change is allowing God's love, his mercy to go so deep in you that you become loving and full of mercy. It actually changes you because what you've taken inside yourself. You haven't added something to yourself. You haven't, this isn't a lifestyle change. This isn't a part of a new wellness regime. No, something has happened to you. Something's changed in you. So you want to love, let's say. Let's say you look at your life and you want to love. Then you need to push his love so deep into your heart that it begins to explode out of you. It's not addition, it's transformation. It's like this. Uh, Some of you have maybe heard of the famous um, poem by Rilke, where he describes walking through the Louvre, and it comes across this ancient bust of Apollo. That's what it looks like right there. And he begins to think about this bust, and and he thinks about, you know, it doesn't have its head, it's missing its leg, and he, he realizes, you know, I have to imagine what this statue might have been to really take in its fullness. But then he says, actually, no, it's, it's not that I have to imagine what it might have been. It's almost more beautiful when you don't have to imagine what might have been and you just take it in. It's, it's more human. It's, it's, it's more glorious. And he finds himself in this poem so taken by the torso that it seems to be he seems to be transported almost into a spiritual moment where he exclaims in the final line of his poem, you must change your life. And and what's powerful about this is I thought we were talking about a piece of art that you're describing. How did we go from a piece of art to you must change your life? 
He's been so taken by the excellence, the beauty, the absolute awe of what's in front of him that it reflects upon the gap within his own heart and he realizes, I must change. I have to change. It's beauty that's taken hold of him. And he realizes, I cannot stay the same when I've witnessed this kind of beauty. See, the only way to become merciful to become loving, to become kingdom, is if you see God's beauty, the beauty of his love, the beauty of his mercy towards you. And what I'm saying is that if you get mechanical, you will never get organic. Because on the outside, you will appear more loving, more serving, more kingdom, but deep down, nothing has actually changed in you. See, there are many many believers who've invested incredible time and energy into changing their character, into becoming more like Jesus. Good thing or bad thing? Good thing. We should, yeah, that's a good thing. Okay, it's a good thing. But the reason why they did it, the reason why they changed was because they wanted the approval of other people. Or they didn't want to look like somebody who isn't loving or kind. Or they they did it to feel a part of the in-group in their community or their church. Or because deep, deep down they have this little sneaking suspicion that God would actually approve of them a little bit more if they did the right stuff. That's why. The problem with this is that they haven't actually changed. They've simply used fear or pride to bring about better behavior. They've just added to their rock pile but they haven't actually entered into more love. They haven't actually taken anything inside. I've been learning this, I feel like for the past like six years, I've really been trying to understand what the gospel does when you really understand God's love for you. Um, And and, and Justin adds it, I don't know where Justin is, he's probably somewhere around here, but um, Justin, he said something to me the other day, a couple weeks ago, he said, uh, I, I think we're talking about like just offense or being offended about something. He says, you know, if I'm easily offended, I just realize I'm not walking in love. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like if you're easily offended, you're not loving people well then. And he's like, no, no, no. If I'm offended, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol, it's a signal in my life where I realize that I haven't received his love. Because if I was really receiving his love, then I wouldn't be easily offended. <laughs> right? And it's begun to be this thing in my life where if I see, if I look at, if I read 1 Corinthians 13, what is love? And I find in me an an inability to do those things, to believe those things, to be those things. I don't go, well, yeah, I'm just not a loving person then. No, I go, well, I must not be receiving your love because if I was, these would be natural. These would just come out of me. These would be organic. See, the reality is that you have to receive something to become something. And there's many believers who they receive an incredible amount in the beginning. They, they meet God and their whole life changes. And then they say, I'll take it from here. You know, the, the, that thing you did on the cross and in the grave, that was very strong, very, very strong. Uh, but I think I got it from here and I'm gonna apply, you know, there's this new book that this guy's, this guy's written. I'm gonna follow the book rather than encounter you. And you're like, what? Well, no wonder you feel this incredible pressure and weight of performance on your shoulders. You have disconnected yourself from the organic source of sunlight and nutrients. The very thing that God wants to do in you, you've disconnected from yourself in an attempt to get mechanical. 
See, this passage, what it really does is it confronts how do you see God? How do you see him? Fear and pride are where all sin comes from. Wherever there's sin, you can essentially trace it back to fear or pride. Because those are the two qualities that are the most incongruent with the character of God. Like what is, think about this, what is sin? It's incongruence with his character. What is righteousness? It's, in, it's congruence with his character. Sin and pride are qualities of someone who lacks, who needs to scrap and claw to get theirs, who, who really needs to self-protect, who's easily offended and self-seeking. But is this the character of God? Verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful. Is this like the character of God? No. God has an abundance, so he has nothing to prove and he has nothing to lose. He's not full of pride, he's not full of fear. And this is what Jesus is trying to help us see. We too, you too, can love the unlovable because we too can have nothing to prove and nothing to lose. It's possible. It's possible. God wants you to experience his fullness so that all of your life is response to heavenly indicators rather than reaction to whatever's been happening around you. And when you do that, when your life is like that, you will become a cause instead of a reaction. Look back again, verse 27. It says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. What Jesus is describing here is the ability to give more than you were given. Can you do that? To take the deficit someone throws your way through a comment or physical abuse or theft or whatever and to return to them more. This is about having an abundance so that you can take a loss. See, the, see, the, the weak person the person who really feels they have a deficit, who is really walking through life, they have no, they're not full, they have nothing to offer. They can only react. They can only react. They have no reserve. You know, if you imagine we have these little tanks in our bodies, of, it's our love tank. And if they have no love in the love tank, they have no identity rooted in Christ to draw on, then when someone insults them, all of their actions are determined by what they said. All their actions are determined by how they've been treated or, or what somebody said to you or, or what somebody said about you or whatever it is. And it's people who feel this constant lack who perpetuate an eye for an eye, always giving back what they've been given because there's just not enough to go around. This is not how you were designed to live, followers of Jesus. This is the path of being conformed mimicking this world. I, I love this passage, a famous, two famous passages today. Paul says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Do not conform, react to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Get organic. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The renewing of your mind begins when you see what Jesus has been for you. That when you were in the mire of sin, when you were an enemy of God's, when you're in the incongruence of your character and his spread hell instead of Eden through your life, he had mercy for you. He loved you. He died for you. And right there, when you take it in, when you believe it, organic change begins to happen. You become something different. You don't just add a new lifestyle or add a new act to your life. You actually change. This is how this has practically worked in my life. You know, before Christ, before love, before my tank was full, I was constantly calculating. Maybe you can relate. I was constantly in search of purpose and meaning, but I, could, I only had a very limited amount of sources that I could find it. I could only find it from what people said about me or for, from, from what I watched on, in movies or in TV shows. How do I measure up to that guy and his muscles? Uh, how do I measure up to my friend and his intellect? How, where's my role? Where's my purpose and my meaning? I'm constantly searching, constantly calculating. I was constantly reacting. I had this internal man striving and working for significance, and so I became conformed. But when I became a Christian, when, I, when I, I saw, when Jesus revealed himself to me, everything changed. See, I no longer reacted to what was happening around me only. I began to respond to his voice and he began to change me. I remember there was this one time, it just stands out in my mind, I was driving down the freeway and I made some kind of a wrong move. I, I got in the wrong lane or something like that. And this guy, you know, he lays on his horn. I'm like, oh, sorry, get back over to my lane, whatever. And he drives up next to me. He yells at me, he flips me off. Now, Alex, before Christ, do you know what I would have done? I would have flipped him off because he flipped me off. And I would have yelled at him. And I would have been like, hey, pull over. Let's, take, let, let's, let's settle this thing, right? Because I have red hair. And that's what I would have done. But I remember... I remember it so vividly. I remember he did that, and instantly I was like, <clears throat> and, but then I thought, you know, I can take it. Because I've spent the entire morning with you, God, finding out what you think about me, finding out how you see me, getting my little love tank full, and I actually can take the injury, I can take the insult, because you have filled me up. I could absorb the blow because I was full. Do you want it? How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, I, I think the first thing, let's get a little bit practical. I think the first thing that we can do is where we have got, where you catch yourself getting mechanical, you need to ask to see his love again. God, I'm doing this thing, I'm striving over here, I'm getting mechanical because I don't know how much you love me. Show me yourself again. Show me yourself again. And if you are here this morning and you feel empty, and, and you picture the person who's your enemy, or the group of people who's your, who are your enemies, and you just can't imagine doing this passage, you're like, ugh, not after 2020. I just can't imagine doing this passage. Then, then here's what we do as believers. We say, that's the truth. God, what's repentance? 
Here's my truth, God. Now give me what's actually true. Here's my flawed view of the world and you and myself. Now, now show me yourself again. Show me myself again. Show me how you see this world again. That's repentance. And so we come to him and we just say, here's the honest truth. Fill me again. Fill me again. Come love me again, Holy Spirit. You have permission every day. You get, a, you get to ask, fill me again. It's part of the benefit of being a believer. But for the rest of us, I want to end here on something very practical. I want to end by participating in the divine prerogative. Participating in the divine prerogative. You know, through this teaching, Jesus invites us to participate in the abundant life before we feel abundant. The reality is that as embodied souls, we're not, we're not bodies with a soul, we're embodied souls. You can't, there's no disconnection. We become what we do. You're gonna become whatever you're doing. <laughs> so we cannot simply separate our thinking from our doing, that's incongruence. And so like many of you have experienced, there's a deep mystery in that as you choose to love, as you choose to do good, even when you don't feel like doing good, you experience the love of God not only in you but coming through you. And in that sense, love is sacramental. Because when you love, you are both pointing to the love of God, but you are also participating in his divine prerogative here on earth. See, God, how does God change the world? God changes the world not through the mechanical. He changes the world by blessing the world, by blessing the people of God who then become a blessing, by filling the people of God who are then able to pour out blessing even when they've received abuse. So here's the invitation. Just try it. Just try it. God, pour your love out on me. Fill me again. And then let's try it. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.